And today we have Mark LeBeau. Mark has worked in the SAP field for over 25 years. He has worked as a director uh, in many global manufacturing companies in high-tech industries. And without further ado, Mark, welcome. Thank you, Ervis. It's nice to be here. Nice to have you. Mark and I go way back, so uh, he's uh, very special to me. Mark, we'll jump into the first topic, customizations, and why you never stop paying for them. I, 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 I can't tell you how many people have told this story that when you, when I was reporting to you, you were very keen about customizations. I remember like I could create a whole new company code, but I couldn't customize the system. And at times I never really understood why, but now that I've seen custom environments, now I totally get it. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. And, and, and you start off, that's the right thing. I think companies don't always think about that. There's a cost to implementing a customization, and that is usually what people focus on. We're going to hire certain people to do this, but you never stop paying for that. Once the customization's in your system, every time you want to upgrade, every time there's a patch release, every time you want to make some other changes to the system potentially, that customization has to at least be tested or regression tested, and oftentimes it gets in the way of what you want to do. So every year you're paying for maintaining it, for testing around it, and for the, the lost opportunity of the work that you'd be doing otherwise if that customization wasn't in your way. And, and I think that's it's the result of just not really thinking through a strategy around customization. That's a good point because normally everybody thinks that, hey, we're going to have this customization and it's going to do this process, but nobody thinks much about what impacts it has in the back end. Uh, how does an organization end up in a highly customized ERP system, especially in the SAP world? Yeah, well, that's that's it, it's partly that, right? Not Not thinking ahead. And, and thinking about customization from the very beginning and what you want to have your policy be around customization. There's, there's a tendency too, especially as you're implementing or as a problem comes up, a technical solution is often the easiest one to put in place because the IT department is usually the one who's charged with making changes to the system. Technical resources, a lot of times they're offshore, they can be relatively inexpensive, and it's a lot easier than getting people to change how they do a process. So when you're moving from a legacy system, everybody wants to do things the same way they did when they were in the legacy system. And that may mean that they have to change the system that they're moving into to reflect how the company's working. And yeah. that's one of the things that needs to be considered when you do this. So, so you also, I wanna follow up on a point you mentioned about having the right policies. What would a policy look like? So if I was a global company or small company, what would a policy look like that increases our chances of being as standard as possible and everybody's following that? So the, the first is to have a policy that says that customization is, of course, the last resort, that you're going to try everything else ahead of that. And to the, the way that this is likely to be enforced is to get stakeholders from the various business functions to be the ones who are the gatekeepers for this. Not just let IT be the one to choose how to do the solutions, but make sure the rest of the organization's involved. Because a lot of times 
a change to a process or a change to a way of working is a cheaper alternative. Companies get stuck in that, well, we've always done it this way, way of doing things. But if you adapt to how a, a ERP works in its more standard format, then you don't have to customize the system. And the change may be a little bit of work up front. It's always more difficult to get people to change and to get people on board with that. But you don't, you're not paying for that forever. Unless the, unless the process has a real and clear business advantage that gives you a competitive edge, it's probably not important that you do it in a specific way, right? Got it. So, so, so it's you're saying it's a mindset, which I totally agree, and you know it needs to come from the management. They all have everybody in the in the implementation, the stakeholders, everybody. They have to embrace this idea of uh, a customizations is last. I also want to add that I remember that. When I was working for you, I would think three times before proposing a customization because you'd always ask about, hey, what's the standard way of doing this? And why doesn't the standard way work? And why can't we try the standard first? Right. And I think those three questions, they helped me change my mindset because uh, I knew that if I was going to propose a custom solution, I first have to exercise my standard options. I can't tell you how many times I see organizations that they go straight to standard without asking the question. I'm, I'm sorry, they go straight to custom without asking the question, what's standard? Mm -hmm. Why can't we, why doesn't that work for us? Yep. So that's, that's really good. Now, customizations are not all bad. There are times that we need to have customizations, right? Just so we can put it in perspective so everybody will understand what's good customization and what's bad. What would you would you give us an example of, hey, where was a time where a customization made sense and it was the only option? Sure, sure. I'll start with just a little explanation on that because I think that's that's a great point that the customization that you are going to make should be one that is something that the system can do right by, by itself, something that gives you a competitive edge something that, that has a serious benefit for the organization and something that you know you're going to be able to maintain and you've thought about the full cost of putting that customization in place. And I remember one time we were working in a make-to-order environment and we wanted to use variant configuration, but there were a, a huge number of potential variants in the system these, and, and usually they were put together by people who were taking orders. So we needed a system that really controlled how a, a material was made, made sure that there was actually a record of exactly what the custom what the custom configuration of the product that was to be built was that would remain forever, even though we didn't create a new material master. And that was something that we used a piece of ABAP code. We actually wrote a program to do that in line with the variant configuration system in, back in SAP R3. But that was, it was helpful and allowed them to do business in a way that made them work for their customers, help them make more money doing that. And that was a piece of code also that we were able to make sure was not, it didn't affect downstream or upstream process. Perfect. And, and you also talked about budgeting, not just for, hey, do we have money to build this, but do we have money to support this? Right. Uh, 
I'm guessing that this is where, you know, every time we have a new customization, we also have to factor in support in here and how much hours of support that's going to add. Is it going to add a part-time person, full-time person, a five-hour-a-week person, or there's going to be no impact on the support? How, where does support usually fit in this category? So, so the thing about ERP systems is they're generational. A company that puts an ERP system in, you expect it's going to be at least 10, 15, 20 years or more that that ERP system is going to be in place. The people who were there at the beginning are not likely to be the same ones who are there many years later maintaining the system. It's important that people come in and, and know how to use the system properly and understand why things are done the way they are so they understand those downstream processes. So uh, getting people to follow uh, the to use the system properly, right? That kind of complements with uh, customization and standard and as following the processes. And usually, people are the most challenging part of the whole implementation. So, how do we go about it, tackling that problem? Right. Well, that's that's a part of the philosophy that I think is pretty common in the industry of the, of the people process technology. People are the bulk of where you need to spend your time and put your effort. The process is the next biggest step and technology is actually the smallest piece overall. You know, maybe it's uh, everybody will give you a different ratio. It could be 50, 30, 20 or something like that for, for, for percentages. But the, the point being, we spend a lot of time on the technology aspects of things because that's the easiest part to control. People and change are the hardest things to do, but they have the most impact for part of the process. And to get people to change, you have to think about what, what is the best way to help bring them along. And when we do training, we're often thinking about the how and how does somebody do something, how does it work? But more important to people is to understand the context and the why. Why am I doing this? Why is it important that I enter this data correctly? What are the what are the effects on other groups? If people don't know that, then they're likely not to uh, do things as well, and it's much much harder to uh, to keep the system functioning properly. And Mark, I want to clarify this because did you say people, process, and then technology? That's correct. Okay. How does that compare? Because Everybody thinks technology first and then process and people later. And, you right. know, that honestly, that's the first time I hear that. And I totally agree with the mindset. It's all about the people and making sure they have the knowledge and the process. What do you, what's your definition of that? So, so the, the definition is for people, you're thinking about the hows and the whys and and the change management aspect of anything you do. When you do an implementation, if you're starting with a new ERP system or replacing, especially if you're replacing a legacy system, you need to make sure the organization is ready. And that means going to the people, explaining what's happening, what's going to happen, letting them know your job is going to change. Set the expectation, right? The thing, the way you work now is going to change. We're moving to a new system. You have a part to play in this. And as we go through this, we're going to keep you up to date on what's happening. We're going to let you see the new system. You're going to receive training and we're going to keep updating you on what your role is and how you can help make things successful in the organization. Bring everybody along, bring people into it, have those change managers 
that really can lead change and that will bring the people along. The processes, of course, need to be defined. And like we said, you want to stick, you want to avoid customization. You want to do things in the most efficient way for the organization. And then the technology itself, that'll follow along. But the technology, that's the part where the most expertise can be brought in, right? You won't have that, that, that expertise in your organization to start with. You'll need to gain that as you move to a new system, or you'll need to develop it as you're enhancing the system you have. But that's the kind of thing that you can bring from the outside. The work inside is the most important on the people and the process. So uh, SAP implementation starts with changing mindsets, mm -hmm. training people for the future. Yep. Uh, and I'm guessing that leads to the next point, which is also recommended by SAP, that for a new implementation, we identify who's going to be the users and they get trained prior to implementation. Exactly. What's your thought on that, Mark? Well, training is, is very important, of course, but training is often done as a one-time event or with not a lot of forethought. You really need to bring the whole resources of the organization to bear on this. Usually, the HR department is a great resource to help you with, help plan for training and things like that, help plan for the change management. but you want to plan beyond that go live. And you want to plan for once the system's in place to maintain the readiness of the organization, the understanding of the system. And as people change responsibilities, as new people come in, as systems change, make sure that everybody understands what's happening and all the people who are using the system are up to speed on what to do. And that's, that's the kind of thing that can creep over time and you lose that. And you, you can get a whisper down the lane effect as new people come in and they're taught by people who were there before, who were taught by people who were there before, but nothing was ever formally done or documented. Got it. So, there, uh, so if I'm hearing correctly, we're basically saying there needs to be training before implementation, during an, an implementation, and then retraining every so often. And it's, exactly. And it's all those different kinds, right? Before, you're not going to train somebody on the system before but you are going to train people on, hey, here's what's going to happen and here's what we're going to go through as an organization and make sure people understand that's what's coming. And that's more communication than formal training. Then as you built the system, you'll sit down with people and do that formal training, right? Documentation will be put together. But as the process gets to be used in the real world and the system gets out there, there's the need to go back, see how people are using it see if what you were trained on or if you if it's being used in those expected ways. It's a really good idea to sit down and observe what people are doing, see how they're using the system and figure out, you know, maybe they found a better way to do it. Maybe they found a worse way to do it just because they didn't know what the right way is or, or somebody thought something had to be done that didn't have to be done. There's many things that you'll see in the world, but that's why the ongoing review and updates to training are always important. Guys, so we're basically saying is people know where they they know where they belong and what their role is. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And and unlike anything else, the, the the most important thing to to human interaction is communication and making sure everybody understands and and that people aren't operating with false premises or or with with misunderstanding. And that's that's a great point. I'm actually glad you 
brought that up because I can't tell you how many times um, leadership make the mistake of they pull people from the legacy and they're supposed to be the new users, the new power users of the system and they're supposed to help. But that's as far as communication goes, right? I feel mm -hmm. like that's the analogy I could use is that's like getting a young man, giving them a hat, a gun and calling them soldiers, you know, without proper training, mm -hmm. evaluations and, you know, make sure they're ready for the job. Um, and, and I do feel like we get into that situation because uh, SAP or, or any system, it's all virtual and it's so difficult to see that they may not be ready for the job. Right? Yes. Where yes. if it was physical, you could see that they cannot perform the work. And that evaluation is key because you want to look at the people who are going to be the users of the system and who are going to be the power users and who are the people who are going to need some special attention or help. Everybody's different. And, and some people, when you're moving from a legacy system, some people are going to be excited and they're going to come forward and they're going to be champions. And some people are going to be skeptical and they're, need to, they're going to need to be brought along and they're going to need to follow those champions. And you need to identify who, who falls into which group. And, and there's a spectrum between those. But you've got to identify those people who are going to bring you across and make sure that they're the ones who are helping to lead that change. So that's that's a great point because I mean I I can't tell you how many how many people I've seen like they're so passionate about it and usually they have the right attitude and then there's also those people that why am I here I don't understand why I'm here I don't need I don't know what I need to do, which they're totally starting wrong with the starting over with the wrong attitude. Every project needs to avoid that. And how do they go about making sure that people know where they need to be? I wish I had a 100% solution for that. <laughs> but but it, is, it is part of that evaluation that you need to take a look at the people that you have and sit down and, and really work through from what you know of people, from what you've seen of other changes that have come along, and and you may have to give some people some assignments and have them you know, and have them try out and see if they're going to be a good fit for the implementation team or they're somebody who's going to be part of the later retraining. But what you want to make sure that is you don't get people who have a negative attitude towards change or towards the new system that's coming in in those frontline positions. Attitude, got it. Yeah, the attitude, the attitude's vital. Speaking of attitude, I know how important data governance is to you. <laughs> and I'm sure we can talk about it a whole day about data governance and quality and why data is important. Right. What can you tell us from a high level about data governance and how does one organization go into putting the right process in place to have the right data governance and what does that look like? That's, that's a great question, and, and data itself is, is a passion of mine, so understanding data. I started out as a database administrator, was my first IT role, and, and it's always been important to me how you store and use data. And, and this is something that organizations need to come to the understanding first of what the value is. An organization will spend millions or tens of millions of dollars implementing and maintaining an ERP system and it's used to run business process, it's used as a store of information, but it's it's something that's kind of seen often as a necessary evil, right? We're, we're 
we, we had to pay to implement it. We have to pay to maintain it. We have to keep feeding it. And, and what's it doing for us as an organization? And what it's doing is it's collecting a huge amount of data. And that data is one of the biggest assets that your business probably has. It's right up there with intellectual property. What Making sure that that data is valuable is, is what data governance is about. Are we collecting the right information? Are we collecting it cleanly? Do we need to do things to it to, to process it? Are you seeing people in your organization take all information out of the system into an Excel spreadsheet and spend their days analyzing data from the system? These are all the things that, that they're sucking time away from the business and not adding value. So putting together a good data governance process ensures that you've got proper data, you've got to collect it properly, and you're using it in ways that make sense. So, the, I mean, Mark, theoretically, that sounds perfect, and, mm -hmm. and I'm able to follow. Now, how does somebody else put that in practice, right? Like, what does that look like right. uh, if I were to execute that? So, so first of all, it's the recognition. The organization recognizes the value of the data and, and that it needs to be managed because there's going to be an additional cost, right? People's jobs descriptions may need to be changed because what you need to do is within your organization determine who the owners of the data are. Make sure that they are people who are able to make decisions about the data, understand if changes to a process or changes to the collection of data, changes to the lookup values in a drop-down list. All those things need to be managed through data owners. There's also a role of data steward, and a data steward's job is to understand the process that information is used in, understand the upstream and downstream role of the data that's collected, make sure that they are representing to the organization how the data is best, best used properly, if changes are being made to the system, understand what the impact of that is going to be, and suggest better ways of using data and better ways of, of keeping it clean and, and under control. I've heard data steward before, but it's the first time I hear the definition. So that's that's yeah. very helpful. Thank you. Uh, Mark, I can't help but notice that as you started describing how do we go about this, you even started by recognition, which goes back to the people. Mm -hmm. And then, then you start talking about evaluating the process, and then you start talking about looking at your lookup tables, and you got into the technical stuff. So it seems like if we're to get the theme out of everything that we talked about is, and the message that we want to send, it seems like we start with people first, process, and then technology. Everything's, and, and one, of, one of my bosses once, well, his, his favorite saying about people in the IT department is, IT people aren't, we're not about technology. IT is about people who use technology. People and who that, use I think, technology. is, I think that's what it is. It's not, it's not, IT is not about technology. IT is about people who use technology. And the IT department needs to think of the organization as people who are using technology and think about the people first. That's, that's, that's a very good point. Because, uh, I mean, if you start with people first, you'll be able to address a whole range of issues, right? Like, why am I here? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I need to do. I don't like this new tool. 
often is people go through implementation, they, they come up with their A team, and sometimes they pull them without even asking if they want to be part of that project. And right. then you get into a designing session, a blueprinting session, where the first thing we notice is people don't want to be there, they don't have the right attitude, and then we don't have the right processes. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's, that's excellent. Uh, Mark, you talked a little bit about efficiency and processes. Now, what's your thought when it comes to IT working with the business to make sure they're efficient as possible? And what's an example of how do we accomplish that? It's a good question again. So, so this is the thing that happens a lot in organizations. IT becomes disassociated from the users, right? The, the people who are designing or maintaining the system are not familiar with how the system is being used. And one of the best things you can do, we used to call it a sit with, but you would actually go and make sure that your functional team members are spend part of their time during the month, during the year, whatever it is, but they sit and just observe what the users are doing. Don't criticize, right? Don't, don't try to help them. Just see what's happening there and come back and think about how the users are using the system. Maybe you can point out to them better things to do. Maybe you found something that there's a, there's a bug that, you know, I could fix that in a minute. Those are the kinds of things that you might get from spending that time actually sitting down there and, and riding along with somebody who's actually using the system in their daily work. But it's, again, be quiet and watch and, and observe and learn. I, I think that's that's very important because sometimes everybody focuses on the big wins, mm -hmm. but this is this five-minute work that wins you small fixes and small uh, efficiencies. Uh, but when you factor in the entire thing together, you, we're looking at hundreds of hours in a year. Like I could give you an example. Back in my SD days, I saw customer service, when they would enter an order, they would change the day format from month to day, and they would always choose tomorrow day. There was only one day lead time. And I asked everybody, why are we doing this this way? And this is how we've done it before. Uh, and it made me think sure. about the five monkeys and the banana experiment. <laughs> Those of you that don't know it, just Google it, five monkeys and the banana. It's not supposed to be offensive. It's a real examination that was done. Uh, and I said to myself, hey, I'm going to make change the system and let's see if anybody complains. Because I, I went through the entire organization. Nobody could tell me why they did it. Uh, so I changed the system. It saved customer service like five seconds every time they enter an order. But when you factor them like uh, uh, two, three hundred orders a day, we're literally talking about you know, a couple thousands a year that you're able to save only with five minutes. So everybody focuses on those big savings, but sometimes the more you get more reward in the smaller fixes. That's why we have to. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, and, and that's a good example because that's one where the users never thought to ask, right? They like, oh, IT is so busy. There's so much stuff going on. I'm not going to bother them with this little thing, that, but but it takes no time to fix it. I remember an example, a project we worked on, where somebody was printing out uh, order confirmations, scanning them back into the system, and then sending them to the customer. All we had to do was show them how they could do this in one step directly from the system, 
and save them all that work and all that waste. <laughs> That's it. Email it directly from SAP. Exactly. Uh, and 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 I do feel like sometimes savings you get more return of your time and money in those small fixes. That's why we came up with the service. So similar to what you're talking about, we see with the users, we call that efficiency where we will sit with your users. We'll basically just shut up and listen and maybe ask questions here and there and see how they're using the system. And then at the end of the analysis, we'll provide a report that says, here's what you can do differently or you can do better. And we're, the point of that is to highlight these examples of this fixes that are small in nature, but over you know uh, a year they could save a lot of time. That's great. That's a great service. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So Mark, thank you so much. This was very valuable. I really like the approach about people, process, and technology. Most of the time is the other way around. So <laughs> I, I think that's very valuable. Uh, we will include, for those of you that are just tuning in, we will include Mark's uh, LinkedIn profile on our description. You guys are able to find this podcast. It is podcast number one and many more to follow. You'll be able to find that on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. So if you just search Solturos podcast, you'll be able to find us.